Let's jump into what's going on today. We're starting a brand new series called Covenant and Kingdom. And uh, we're going to start this, and this will lead us towards uh, just before Easter time. And one of the reasons we've chosen this theme in this series, and I'll get into it in a little bit, is to help us build a stronger discipleship culture at Westside. Uh, Jesus calls us to be his disciples, to follow him, uh, to live like him, and he empowers us to do so. And when we think about discipleship, discipleship is really a DNA transfer. Jesus tells his disciples, go and make more disciples. And uh, disciples that would be immersed in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and become more like Jesus. And what that partially means is that the DNA of the Gospel, the DNA of Jesus, uh, is embedded in us. And then we grow to become like Him. And I love that image of a DNA. Because, um, you know, these days DNAs become popular language on TV shows and uh, uh, criminal shows and all things like this because forensic scientists now can find somebody with just the strand of their hair or uh, just a, a little bit of their saliva or some of their blood. And uh, that's fascinating because it means that every single part of our body uh, has the imprint of our DNA. And so you are your DNA, and your DNA is who you are. You can't get around it. That's just what it's like. And so think about that image for a second, and I want you to want to draw your attention to what the Bible is like. The Bible has a DNA. It's not just one book. Uh, it's a library of books. Too often people say the Bible says, and what they really mean is maybe Paul said, or Jesus said, uh, or, or written in the story of Joshua. But what the Bible is, is a library of books, a collection of books. But that collection of books together has a certain DNA, has a certain themes that, that, that come across it. And so when we tell God's story, um, we tell a story that has certain themes that are running through it. And so today, I wanna, we, as we start this series, we want to discover and begin to discover two themes that run through the Scripture, kind of like the DNA of Scripture. And these two themes are covenant and kingdom. When you think of covenant, I want you to think of relationship. When you think of kingdom, I want you to think of responsibility. In fact, it's dangerous to have responsibility without relationship. And it's often not as interesting to have relationship without any responsibility. They both go hand in hand. And they work together. And so these two strands of the scriptures come together. Covenant and kingdom. Uh, relationship and responsibility. And it's the DNA working together. This big picture. God invites us into relationship. But he also challenges us with responsibility in his purposes. It's like anybody is partly who they are and what they do. Their being and their doing. And that's, this is the two sides of the coin that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. might seem simplistic, but here's the purpose. What is simply understood can be simply passed on. And if we want to build a discipleship culture, we want to be able to pass on who Jesus is, the heartbeat of the gospel, the DNA of God's story. But it's also profound, because as we live in it and breathe in it and absorb it and understand it, it begins to transform us in such beautiful ways. So today we're going to start off with just this one strand, uh, which is covenant and relationship. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into um, a figure in the scripture, actually two figures, it's a husband and wife. 
Abraham and Sarah. And we're just going to talk about them today and see what we can find out about covenant in their story. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were a couple uh, that we find them in the early pages of Scripture, uh, Genesis chapter 12 and onward. And as, as the story unfolds in Genesis, we discover that the world is broken. The people's relationship with God, with each other, with the world itself, has become fragmented, has become lost, has become broken. And God's desire is to restore it. And God chooses this one man, Abraham, and he decides to start with one person to build a family, to build a nation that would influence all nations. Uh, we find the climax of this story in Jesus, who fulfills everything that Israel was meant to be. This is this family, this nation that gets started in Abraham. And we find the end of the story in eternity, in heaven, when the world and humanity is restored. But it starts here with this one person, Abraham. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of slices of, of his life and to understand covenant relationship. This story with Abraham starts off uh, early in Genesis, an uh, incredible being, really, who God is. And as God and him get to know each other, God calls him out to follow him, to leave everything he has, his people, his place, and to follow him on a new journey. And part of that journey is a promise. God's promise is that he would make Abraham into a great nation. Uh, and that nation would be a people that God uses to bless the world. There's one problem with that. Abraham and Sarah uh, don't have a child. Well, if you don't have a child, you can't have a family. If you don't have a family, you can't have a village. If you don't have a village, you can't have a nation. And so they're running into some struggles with this. But God has gave, given them this promise. And uh, a couple of chapters later, in, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is getting uh, restless. He's, he's uh, you know, in disbelief of, uh, of what's going to happen. He's getting close to retirement. Uh, he's almost 100 years old. And so he's starting to figure out, like, how am I going to clarify my will? Uh, you know, before I, I settle my accounts, who's going to get my stuff? And so he's, he's talking to God, and he says, you know what, I'm going to give all my stuff to one of my servants. Maybe it's his favorite guy, and, and uh, so he's going to give all of his stuff to one of his servants. He says, I don't have a son. Uh, I don't have a family, so I'm going to give it to him. And God stops him and says, no, uh, Abraham, I want you to trust me. In fact, in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, he tells Abraham, Abraham, don't be afraid. Uh, I'm your shield, your very great reward. And Abraham responds to him and calls him sovereign Lord. A similar word used for shield, actually. And Abraham responds to him, uh, you know, talking to God as if he really does trust him. And then God tells him later in verse 5, he says, listen, before you make any changes with your estate, this is what he says in verse 5. He says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he says, this is what your offspring will be. This is how many people you will produce one day. That from your initial offspring, a nation of people will be birthed. And so here is God inviting Abraham to still trust him. And one of the ways that God does this is he initiates something called a covenant. In the ancient Near Eastern world, a covenant was when uh, two parties came together and, and worked together, uh, united as one together. 
they protected one another. They resourced each other. In fact, they, they became bound to each other. One simple example of this is, is marriage. Uh, you know, when marriage works right, when marriage fulfills its promise of vows taken together, it's two people becoming one. Uh, two lives forging together, bound together, working together, resourcing each other, protecting each other. Well, that's kind of what a covenant is. And God initiates a covenant with Abraham and he tells him, I want you to prepare the environment, the pieces for this covenant. In that time frame, in the ancient Near East, a covenant was also meant to cut. And so what someone would have done to, to start this uh, relationship off is they would have taken the choice animals and God tells Abraham what animals to use and one of them is a young calf and, and so Abraham prepares the, the, these animals. They're sacrificed. It, it gets bloody, unfortunately. But what happens is he, he sacrifices these animals, he prepares them, he lays them out, and he waits. And what happens is a, another party in the covenant will come and walk through these pieces. Well, Abraham falls into a deep sleep and God speaks to him uh, through this sleep. He wakes up and it's dark outside. And all of a sudden, Abraham sees, appear out of nowhere, um, a, a steaming pot or, or a smoking pot uh, with embers in it and a torch of flames. But no one's holding them. They're just there in midair, it seems like, when you read the story. And then he sees the pot and the torch just walking through or moving through the pieces that he's laid out, the sacrificial animals that he's laid out. And the smoking pot and the torch move through the pieces. And what God is, what it seems that's happening is God himself shows up and walks through these pieces. God initiates this covenant, Abraham prepares the covenant, and together, through the preparation and through the moving through the pieces, they come into a covenant relationship together. The most amazing thing about this is not that it's just a covenant, because that did happen in that time period, but it happens with the God of the universe, the greater party and the lesser party, God and Abraham. I'll just pause and think about that for a second. That means that God, even in that moment, through grace, initiates a relationship with Abraham. So this covenant has been crafted by grace. You know, too often people say, oh, I only see grace in Jesus. I only see grace in the New Testament. Um, I don't see grace in the Old Testament. And yet this story is so filled with grace because God, the greater entity, the greater party in this covenant, initiates it with Abraham, the lesser one. They're not equal by no means. Abraham is so not equal with God but yet, by grace, Abraham's invited in to this covenant. And by grace, God enters this relationship with Abraham. So the God of the universe enters a relationship with Abraham. And they become, in a sense, one with each other through relationship. The implications are, are huge. Um, some of the implications are this. One of them is privilege. There's this moment when, when um, God comes to Abraham and um, he shows him a town or a city off in the distance. And that city is called Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe you've heard of that town. Maybe you've heard that it's kind of like a bad town. And Sodom and Gomorrah is known for just uh, moral atroc atrocities, um, uh, immoral lifestyle, 
um, you know, they didn't, they didn't take care of the poor. Uh, they were unjust towards one another. And God sees this village and he tells Abraham, as he's looking across to this village, he says, that place uh, is completely full of evil. And God says, I'm going to destroy it. Um, and for, for whatever God reasons has for destroying this, likely because if it's pure evil, it's going to spread and hurt other people. But that's God's plans. And God invites Abraham into knowing his plans. That's interesting enough. But then, this is what happens. Abraham says, wait a second, God, stop. Um, like, how could Abraham tell God to stop? Why would he even venture with boldness to say anything? But Abraham says to God, God, what if there's 50 people in that city? Would you spare it? And God says, uh, he thinks about it, and he says, I'll spare it. And they keep having this conversation, and, and Abraham drops the 40, and then 30. You know, God, well, what if there's 30 people uh, in that village that are good? Would you spare it? And God thinks about it and says, yes, I'll spare it. And Abraham keeps talking with God, and he brings them down to 10. He says, God, if there's 10 people in this village, will you spare it? And God says, Abraham, I've heard you. I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there's even just 10 people that are good. I mean, just stop and think about this for a second. God listens to Abraham. Abraham somehow has the boldness to question God, to say, God, would you change your mind here? Would you consider a different alternative? That's huge because... God is letting Abraham know about his plans. And God is listening to Abraham. And Abraham somehow has the boldness to speak to God. This is one of the beautiful things about covenant relationship. Where, where God lets us into his plans and he invites us and he uses us. In John chapter 15, when Jesus speaks about an abiding relationship with him, one of the things he says to his disciples, he says, I no longer call you slaves, you're my friends. And he says, you're my friends because I've let you into my father's business. That's one of the privileges of covenant relationship. God lets us into his purposes. But here's another implication. And this one's a huge one. It's, it's the idea of identity. Um, God will call on Abraham to live for him, to obey him, to sacrifice him. But when he does, it always comes out of this identity that Abraham now has because he's in covenant relationship with God. There's a story in Genesis chapter 17 where um, Abraham and Sarah are talked to again by God and God begins to solidify even further this, this relationship he has with them. And one of the amazing things he does is... He talks to them and, he's, and he, he tells them that he's going to change their name. I love this story. We'll just read a couple of verses from it. God tells Abraham, This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. He says, No longer will you be called Abraham, for your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Later on, he says something similar to Sarah. He says, no longer will you be called Sarai, but you will be called Sarah. See, both Abraham and Sarah, their initial names were Abram and Sarai. None of their names 
the way we would see it in Hebrew would have the letter H in it, or in Hebrew it's the letter He. But God does something amazing here. God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh, and it's only four syllables. And in English it would be W-H, sorry, Y-H-W-H. And it, it seems as though, if we could think about it this way, God takes each H in his name and puts it into Abraham and Sarah's name. Somehow, Abraham now has a piece of God's identity. Sarah now has a piece of God's identity. They both, in their names, share identity with the God of the universe. In, in an essence, God gives himself to them. He shares something intimate with them. And he changes their identity. That's what it means to be in covenant relationship with God. On a side note, this is just beautiful because in a patriarchal, in a patriarchal culture where the man would be, um, obviously in that time period, who was spoken to and who was addressed, it fascinates me that it's not only Abra Abraham's name whose name has changed, but Sarah's name has changed. And in a sense, God is saying, I'm going to use both of you. As one day we read that, that in, the, in the New Testament, we read that, that there is a priesthood of all believers, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, that one day after the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there will be neither slave nor free, male nor female, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, all one in Jesus Christ. And that is fulfilled at that time because we start to get God's identity. He begins to change us and shape us. That's a little side issue, but I thought that really fits in with this. So here's the implications. We are His. We are His in covenant. All that is ours is His. And He is ours. It's not that we own God or we control God, not by any means. But God gives us access to His heart, to His resources. And He invites us to fulfill His purposes with Him. I love the story uh, later on in Genesis 22 when Abraham surprised at one point for sure when God asks him to sacrifice his own son. And uh, as Abraham is preparing this sacrifice, maybe like anybody in the ancient Near Eastern world would, because they would see that they would do whatever a God would ask. No questions asked. But God changes Abraham's perspective of the relationship they have. For as he prepares the sacrifice, as he prepares this moment, God stops him and says, Abraham, stop. I'm providing the sacrifice for you. God changes the game. God changes the relationship. God demonstrates to Abraham, we are in covenant relationship. And one day, God will go the full step further and he says, I'm giving my son. This is how much I value our relationship and I value you and I long for all of humanity to be whole. This is the beauty of this one strand initially in the scriptures called covenant, called relationship. And it changes who we are and what we're about. Maybe you saw uh, this movie. Uh, it's called The Blind Side. And um, it's about a young African-American teenager who, um, who practically lives on the streets. Um, his talent isn't noticed. Uh, his... His knowledge is not developed for school, his academic side of things, but he is a diamond in the rough. 
And uh, one day he's found by a family. And this family picks him up literally uh, while he's walking home on a long, long walk from school. They give him a place to live and a place to stay. And uh, as this family gets to know Mike, um, they take him in. And at first he just sleeps in their living room. But then eventually they give him a room. And then they, they basically start doing life with him. And at one point in the story, they want to adopt him. And Mike has to sacrifice some things in his life, and they have to sacrifice some things in their life, but they start to become family. And Mike starts to have a little brother and a sister and two parents, and they now have a third son, a second son. And all of a sudden, they're working as family together. He's not only living in their living room, he's now part of the home. And they are no longer just, uh, you know, having someone as a guest. They are family together. And they're not just helping him. Now they're family with him. And so what's happening is he sacrifices for them. They sacrifice for him. And now they move forward with a new identity, with a new relationship, with a new commitment. And everything else from that point on is live differently. There's a new relationship there. So when you, when you and I think about this today, I want us to, to clue in to, as we read through the scriptures, are we seeing this covenant relationship? Are we seeing this new identity? Or maybe do we only see God as far off in the distance? We only see God as someone we talk to when we need Him. We only see God as someone who wants something from us. But my hope as, we, as you get a chance to discuss this in your church or home groups, that you would uh, begin to unpack slowly, slowly what difference it makes in your understanding of God, in your relationship with God, in what you hope your relationship with God it would be like when you discover that it's about relationship, that it's about covenant. So as you jump into your groups, your hosts are going to take over and, and um, you know, guide some discussion here uh, and lead you maybe to a time of prayer. But I just encourage you, ask that question. How does your relationship with God or your understanding of God change because of this understanding of covenant? Enjoy your time and uh, we're going to pick up this topic next week uh, in our gathering when we're all together. God bless.